kind of made us feel like, okay, this must be like some bootleg version of the vaccine. There were literally zero slots available. Trying to book online, couldn't find an appointment. Honestly, like that sounds like India to me. Like how do you have to know people to get a vaccine? How come there was not enough vaccine for the high risk group? My mom tried explaining and pleading to the clinic manager. So I had to go and wait approximately four hours. People shouldn't have to camp out like they're waiting for the latest Supreme drop to receive life-saving vaccinations. It was really confusing. He ended up catching COVID in the interim, got hospitalized, and has passed away. And the really tragic thing is that those in the line of fire are the people who are most vulnerable in our society. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Model Minority. We're your hosts, Nabila and Talasi, and today we're talking about a topic that's been making the headlines recently. There has been so much to talk about when it comes to COVID-19 and the impact it has had on our economy, our healthcare system, Indigenous and racialized communities, and pretty much every aspect of our lives. It's been quite overwhelming, to say the least. But today we're going to try to touch on just a sliver of this topic and focus on the vaccine rollout in Ontario. I'd like to point out that we're not experts in this area. The information that's in this episode is based on reports that we've read. And if you're interested in the sources, please feel free to check out our website. So before we get started, I'm going to turn it over to Talasi to do our land acknowledgement. As immigrants, many of us have felt overlooked and dismissed by the vaccine rollout process, which we'll discuss shortly. However, at the same time, I think most of us place a certain level of trust in the healthcare system, which many Indigenous communities don't have the luxury of due to Canada's long history of racist treatment by medical institutions, including non-consensual medical experiments and horrific lack of care. So I think there are several pieces to healthcare inequity in Canada, and as we're discussing healthcare inequity today, it's worth reflecting on this in Canada's long and troubling healthcare relationship with Indigenous communities. So I want to take a minute to acknowledge that today we're on land that is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. This land is also covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. So when COVID-19 ravaged the world about a year ago, it was referred to as the Great Equalizer. Celebrities, government officials, and mainstream media touted that the disease transcends wealth, fame, or prestige because everyone is equally at risk. However, over the last year, it's become very evident that we're not all equally affected by COVID-19. And this inequality became even more apparent when it came to immunizing populations against the disease. Recently, Ontario's government came under attack for the manner in which they handled vaccine distribution in the province, including its failure to prioritize at-risk populations and ensure accessibility to vaccination information really tragic thing is that those in the line of fire are the people who are most vulnerable in our society. So right now, the people getting sick with COVID-19 are not the wealthy people who can work from home who are probably getting vaccinated. The people who are getting sick with COVID-19 are the people who have no choice but to leave their house and expose themselves to the virus at work. And they may or may not have been vaccinated, and they may or may not have the agency and the social capital while they go to work to speak up if they're in an unsafe environment. And when they do get sick, they're probably going home to a very crowded household with multi-generations living in the same building or household. And if they do get sick, the likelihood that they're going to infect everyone that they live with is very high. 
I took care of a patient this week in, in the hospital who had COVID-19 and was desperate to leave against medical advice while he was on 100% oxygen because his wife, his wife's mother, and his six-year-old child all had COVID at home. And he was freaking out that his wife couldn't handle looking after everyone in his family. Entire families are getting sick with this. And it is not the way I ever expected things to happen in this country. I'm going to leave it at that. That was Dr. Callie Barrett, a critical care physician with the University Health Network in Toronto. She is just one of many individuals who have called out the provincial government on its failure to prioritize people and public health. Some of the government's critics have even gone so far as calling for Premier Doug Ford's resignation. In short, people are angry and confused and upset in this province. Today, we're hoping to shed just a little bit of light on some of these emotions that Ontarians have been feeling with the help of some of our friends, family, and listeners who have shared their stories for this episode. We're also hoping to dig just a little deeper into what's been going on at the systemic level with the vaccine rollout. Vaccines first became available in Ontario in December of 2020 for healthcare workers across a few hospitals during phase one of Ontario's vaccination plan. At this stage, vaccines were also administered to high-risk populations such as Indigenous communities and people over the age of 80. Starting with Phase 2, however, so around the beginning of April, vaccine eligibility expanded. At this point, populations like adults over the age of 18 in high transmission areas and adults over the age of 50 in high transmission areas were eligible for vaccination. And almost immediately, there was confusion around who was eligible, how to book a vaccine appointment, and which vaccine to get. For us, yeah, it was really confusing finding where we can actually get the vaccine. The process is just horrible here. And they only carry Pfizer and Moderna in the hospitals, but they carry only AstraZeneca in the pharmacies. So it kind of made us feel even weirder as to why why is it that the hospitals aren't carrying this vaccine? And um, it just kind of made us feel like, okay, this must be like some, I don't know, some like bootleg version of the vaccine. Going off of that, I think a big problem is that there's been a lack of communication from the government and public health officials about the different types of vaccines and why certain locations and certain age groups are receiving one vaccine over the other. As we just heard, for example, some adults are currently only eligible for the AstraZeneca vaccine. This combined with conflicting reports and misinformation about the vaccines, and AstraZeneca in particular, means that a lot of people feel unable to determine whether the vaccines are safe. Now, Health Canada has stated just a few weeks ago that AstraZeneca is safe and that there is a very low risk of patients developing blood clots and that the risk of hospitalization and death from COVID is actually more likely than the risk of blood clots from AstraZeneca. And they also stated that blood clots are actually more likely side effects from birth control and many other everyday medications than from the AstraZeneca vaccine. However, when there's a lack of clarity and communication by the government and public health officials about the different types of vaccines, it's kind of difficult for people to make informed choices about their health. And this is especially true for populations who don't have access to science-backed information, like from Health Canada, about the vaccines via computers or cell phones, or maybe they don't have access to Wi-Fi or data plans. One of the other problems with the vaccine rollout in Ontario is that there's no primary booking system. 
Instead, we basically have a patchwork of pharmacies, mobile clinics, grocery stores, and hospitals providing vaccines and each have their own website and registration process. And many people don't know if or where they're eligible since each clinic and pharmacy have their own rules about who they're providing vaccines to. So a lot of people have just resorted to hunting down places to get vaccinated. And a lot of people have actually reported that many of the locations that are supposed to have vaccines actually don't. And the online registration process is also not reliable a lot of the time. A lot of people have said that they register for a vaccine or put themselves on a wait list and then they just never hear back. And when you compare the vaccine rollout in Ontario with other provinces in Canada, it becomes even more apparent how horribly inadequate the process has been here. In Nova Scotia, for example, there's a centralized booking system. So on the government's website, you just have to type in your address and age, and then you get a list of all available vaccine appointments in the province. The lack of clarity with respect to vaccine booking is difficult enough for those of us who regularly use computers and cell phones and have access to information about vaccinations and don't have a language barrier. But it's even worse for certain populations, such as the elderly, people with disabilities, people who have language barriers, or don't have access to a computer or Wi-Fi. For example, some first-generation immigrants or the elderly wouldn't even be able to get an appointment or know that they're eligible without the help of their kids and grandkids. So what happens to elderly people or people with language barriers or people with disabilities who live in isolation? I know of families who didn't even realize that they were eligible for a vaccine until uh, I spoke with them or someone else uh, happened to speak with them. I have a friend, for example, in Scarborough um, whose parents found out about a pop-up clinic because they happened to be outside walking early in the morning. And so this clinic is close enough to their home that they could walk to it, but they didn't know it was happening until they walked by. Um, and then they were able to get their vaccine. I also know someone else who became eligible for the vaccine a few weeks ago, um, was trying to book online, couldn't find an appointment. Phone lines were busy. Unfortunately, uh, he ended up catching COVID in the interim, got hospitalized and has passed away. And so these are real lives uh, that are being lost because of this horrible vaccine rollout. The way that Ontario has handled communication and booking systems is completely an equity issue. It's just not been accessible at all. Another issue with Ontario's vaccine rollout has been the inequitable distribution of the vaccines and the failure by the government to prioritize certain populations. So we read a report from Toronto-based research group ICES, which was published on April 6, 2021, which had a lot of interesting stats. For example, the report noted that in Toronto, Jane and Finch has the worst COVID-19 rates and the second worst rates of hospitalizations and deaths. Yet just 5.5% of the residents in this neighborhood have received the first dose of the vaccine. This is the lowest rate in the entire city. This can be contrasted with Moore Park, which is a neighborhood in Mount Pleasant and St. Clair. This neighborhood has among the lowest rates of hospitalizations and deaths. And yet 22.4% of this population has received the first dose, which is the highest rate in the city. The report noted that the highest vaccination rates in Toronto are in Moore Park, Forest Hill, Kingsway, and Rosedale. These are the wealthiest neighborhoods in Toronto with the lowest COVID rates. And the lowest vaccination rates in Toronto have been in Toronto's Northwest area, 
which have large numbers of racialized people and immigrants and has had the highest COVID-19 hospitalizations and death rates. We've heard many people blame these low vaccination rates on vaccine hesitancy. But this same report states that the five Toronto neighborhoods with the highest COVID rates initially had no pharmacies offering vaccines. And the five neighborhoods with the lowest rates of COVID-19, which also happened to be the wealthiest, had 12 pharmacies offering vaccines. The province ultimately added additional pharmacies offering vaccines on March 31st and onwards, but there's still a huge disparity. For example, Jane and Finch, which has a population of 42,000, only has six pharmacies offering vaccines, whereas Moore Park, which has a population of around 10,000, now has 29 pharmacies offering vaccines plus a mass immunization clinic in the works. A few weeks ago, Ontario expanded the vaccination program in many hotspot neighborhoods, but it's clear that this initiative has not gone far enough. For example, after announcing that several postal codes in Scarborough were considered hotspots, 10,000 individuals in Scarborough had their vaccination appointments cancelled in mid-April due to a vaccination shortage. Both of my parents were part of this group who had booked their appointments weeks in advance to only have their appointments cancelled the night before. Here's what my mom had to say about the experience. On April 3rd, I made that appointment for vaccine for my first dose uh, for uh, April 14th around uh, 10.40 a.m. And they actually called me on April 30th, 9.30, at 9.30. That a girl introduced that she's calling from uh, Scarborough Health Network. And uh, my vaccine uh, appointment is cancelled. I was so upset. I have heart failure in 2017. My cardiologist called me and told me I should get the vaccine as soon as possible. And I have diabetes and I have other complications. So I was in high risk group. That's why I'm really upset how come there was not enough vaccine for the high risk group. And when I saw my other friends, they don't have any high risk factor or anything. And they don't even live in that hot spot. And they got the vaccination. So there must be some systematic uh, corruption. And this happened while a number of neighborhoods in wealthier areas in Toronto had vaccine supplies. These wealthier neighborhoods may have a higher aging population, but the hardest hit neighborhoods in Toronto and Peel have the highest number of essential workers. Take Peel, for example. This region of Ontario is home to 80% of all companies in Canada, 60% of trucking services, and 40% of Amazon packages in Canada are processed here. And not surprisingly, Peel accounts for 20% of all COVID-19 cases in Ontario, but they've only received 7.5% of vaccines. Notably, Brampton, one of the largest cities in Peel, only has eight pharmacies offering vaccines per 100,000 residents. Therefore, in some ways, it's fairly unclear why the provincial government has chosen to prioritize these other neighborhoods. One of the reasons may be the fact that the vaccine rollout has turned incredibly political. Recent data obtained by the Toronto Star found that the provincial government actually ignored its science advisory table recently. Notably, there were five higher risk postal codes that were recommended by the science advisory table to the provincial government, and yet 
these five hotspots were left off the final list of hotspots and eight lower risk areas were added to the hotspot postal code list, most of which were in PC writings. There's currently a court challenge that Ontario's rollout of the vaccine violates the constitution because of the inequitable way the vaccine has been distributed. Furthermore, Ontario's Auditor General will be reviewing the province's vaccination rollout, including how the government selected the hotspot postal codes. Even after the government started prioritizing essential workers and hotspot postal codes, it's been really difficult to get the vaccine because of the inaccessible way that it was set up. There are people who do everything the way they've been told to do. They take time off work, they register, and then they still get turned away because of bureaucracy, poor planning, and the way that this rollout has been set up. Here's what one person had to say about this. As soon as the hospital opened up slots for my parents' age group, I was scouring through the website to get my mom a slot. This was a difficult task because there were literally zero slots available. I was able to finally find a slot in Scarborough at Centenary Hospital that worked with my mom's work schedule. I was so relieved that my mom would be able to get the vaccine. Once my mom got to the hospital, the clinic manager told her that she wouldn't be able to get the vaccine because even though we live right at the border of Scarborough and North York, we technically have a North York postal code. My mom tried explaining and pleading to the clinic manager that she is in the eligible age group range to get vaccinated, has diabetes, works retail, but they still denied her. When she got back home, I called the vaccine booking support hotline, explaining the situation that had just occurred. The representative on the phone said that this should not have happened and that we should reach out to our MP explaining the situation. The representative also looked up our postal code to book my mom another appointment, and lo and behold, she was suggesting Scarborough locations for my mom. It was really upsetting to be rejected from a Scarborough clinic and then be routed back to a vaccine clinic in Scarborough again. In addition to poor planning and bureaucratic issues, one of the other problems with the rollout is that there aren't enough pharmacies in high transmission areas, which is something that Nabila mentioned earlier. And the problem is, not everyone has a car to get to a pharmacy or can take the risk of taking public transportation just to get to a pharmacy. The mobile clinics and hotspot areas are especially problematic. Pop-up clinics are not taking bookings, they're all walk-in, and as a result, people have been standing in line forever, and people are even lining up overnight. I saw someone on Twitter who said that people shouldn't have to camp out like they're waiting for the latest Supreme Drop to receive life-saving vaccinations, which is so true and completely unacceptable. What could have been in our control is just better communication and better, uh, you know, information for the general public, which obviously I feel that the government has done a horrible job. Inequal or unequal, sorry, communication of the information is just really, really unfair and um that's what really, you know, irritates me about it. So I had to go and wait approximately four hours in uh, Parkway Forest to just get my uh, vaccine. But I, at the end of it, they only had 750 doses. And uh, I was like the 800th person or something like that. So I couldn't get mine, unfortunately. And that was on a weekday. So I can't keep taking days off work to go and stand in line um, to do that. So that really, really irritated me. They were supposed to come again, you know, the next day. But couldn't really go again and again apart from that you know i heard that you know one of my friends 
was able to get an appointment. He's he's our age. He's my age, so just under thirty, and he was able to get an appointment through connections through his family, which is honestly like that sounds like India to me. Like how do you have to know people to get a vaccine, and that really really ticked me off inside. These mobile clinics have been popping up in high transmission areas, which are almost exclusively low-income neighborhoods with populations that are at very high risk of getting COVID. Many people in these neighborhoods just can't afford to or aren't able to take time off work to stay in a line all day for the vaccine, or they aren't able to arrange for childcare. Of course, a lot of these issues could be remedied by allowing people to make appointments. One person Nabil and I spoke to about this issue asked why people in these neighborhoods aren't being given the dignity of appointments, of being able to plan their day, whereas people in well-off neighborhoods don't have to deal with pop-up clinics and can make appointments, which I think is you know, very true. And the result of differential treatment like this is reflected in the rate of vaccinations. There has been some narrowing of the disparity between high and low-income neighborhoods this past month, but there is still a significant gap. And what really frustrates me is that some reports have dismissed this data as being a result of vaccine hesitancy. The shortage and long lines at the pop-up clinics, however, are very clear indicators that there is a high demand for vaccines in these neighborhoods. So it's not about vaccine hesitancy. It's about certain populations getting the short end due to inequitable vaccine rollouts. It's no secret that Ontario's vaccine rollout has been a mess. But this mess has had a disproportionate impact on certain communities, including the elderly, persons with disabilities, and racialized and immigrant communities. The lack of information and clarity on how to obtain a vaccine appointment and the incredibly confusing online booking system has left certain people behind. And we've seen from other provinces such as Nova Scotia how much more accessible appointments would have been for vulnerable populations with a centralized booking system, which the government has failed to provide. What's worse is the inequitable manner of the province's distribution of its limited supply of vaccines. The communities that are at the highest risk in Toronto and Peel, which are mostly composed of racialized essential workers, were left out of the initial rollout of the vaccine while wealthier neighborhoods with lower COVID-19 rates were given a much higher supply. There are several indicators that vaccine distribution has been highly politicized by our government, and this has cost lives. Finally, vaccine inequity has had a very real impact on the ground, as is recounted by just a few of the hundreds of thousands of individuals in the province who have had very similar experiences. We are incredibly grateful to the individuals who have shared their experiences with us for this episode, including Sadia Gulshan, Sadia Zahur, Sundas Nasir, Harjot Dasanj, and Kartik Manohar. And that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay critical and stay engaged. Not Your Model Minority is hosted by Nabila Khan and Talasi Kandia. Special thanks to Himmel Kandekar, Simran Dillon, and Kunal Tandon for helping us produce this podcast. Our theme music is by Pink Marble. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NYMM Podcast. You can also visit our website, notyourmodelminority.ca, to subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice, such as Apple or Spotify, as well as find accessible versions of our episodes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>